Welcome back to another edition of the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated source for all Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, uh, former Alabama basketball standout and Chicago Bull, Jason Caffey. Uh, how, how are you doing on this Monday morning, Jason? Hey, Tyler. I'm, I'm doing very well. Um, just sitting at home, um, taking in some interviews. Yeah. Um, you know, every Sunday night now for the last two weeks and, you know, for the next four or five Sunday nights, I hope you've been just as, you know, riveted as the whole nation has uh, by the last dance. Are you glued to your television as, as everyone else is in the sports world right now? I am. Uh, you know, I, not only being a part of that, I'm, I'm a big basketball fan, so there's nothing else to watch, as a matter of fact, and just picking up on old history, it, it refreshes me. Yeah, and, and Jason, before we get into your time um, with the Bulls that season and then your first two seasons in the NBA, I do want to talk about your time at the Capstone. And you're from Mobile, um, and so when you started playing basketball, uh, obviously after high school, you, you came to play uh, – for Wimp Sanderson in 1991 um, at the University of Alabama. Um, just first, I want to get your opinions of Coach Sanderson. I know you only got him for one season, um, but I want uh, you know what what lessons did he teach you in in your one season with him? Well, I really like Coach Sanders. Uh, I, I, I liked him before I met him. I have been following Alabama basketball for some time before he started recruiting me. Um, some of the valuable lessons that I learned from Wimp was that uh, nobody was going to give you anything. If you wanted something in life, you had to take it. Uh, and everything that, you know, you work for, it was, it's worth it to work hard to acquire it. Uh, he no-nonsense type guy. He and I still have a great relationship. We, we might talk two or three times a month. I'll call him. He'll call me. As a matter of fact, I was on his show uh, a little earlier this morning. Uh, yeah. So then, after after Wimp uh, retired, you got um, Jace. Uh, excuse me. You got David Hobbs. And you, you I mean Jason? You were there in the heyday, really, at Alabama basketball, right there in the '90s. You were a part of three teams that went to the NCAA tournament. You played with a lot of NBA guys too. Uh, I want to ask you this: out of all the guys, I mean, the, the kind of pipeline Alabama had to the NBA um, through your four years there, um, who was maybe in practice one of the toughest guy to guard? Uh, Antonio. Was was the toughest guy for me to guard. I I had never seen a player like Antonio before. I thought I was a a, a really athletic player, and I was without all of the injuries. But when Antonio got there, six ten, forty plus inch vertical, I remember asking Coach Polinski, "Why can't I get my shot off of this guy?" And Coach told me, "Just relax. He's exceptional." And um, you know that that stuck with me to this day. Uh, you, you know, Jason, we've had Brian Pasnick on here earlier uh, a couple months ago during basketball season, and I'm really surprised you didn't say Brian. <laughs> B was plucking away at those threes. That was his thing. I didn't have to worry about going out on the perimeter to guard him. But, uh, yeah, Brian was a great three-point shooter. No, no, I, I, if Brian listens to this, I hope he does. He's, he's a friend of the show. Uh, but, yeah, just real briefly before we get into your time with the Bulls, Jason, what is your um, – What's, what are some of your favorite moments um, during your time at UA? Because I was talking to uh, another uh, UA, uh, UA grad, but he's a huge basketball fan, and I was like, what do you remember most about Jason Taffy? And he was like, man, he destroyed Auburn. I don't, I don't think I ever lost to him. Uh, had a good run against Auburn, and, and that's, 
it's ironic that it was like that because Tommy Joe Eagles and I had a great relationship when I narrowed down the schools that I wanted to go to. It was out of Alabama and Auburn. And what pushed me to Alabama was, just like you said, Alabama had a pipeline to the NBA at that time. Um, I got there. I got to play with Latrell, Freewell, Robert Ord. Before that, you would hear names like uh, you know, David Benoit, Keith Askins. Uh, power forwards galore were coming out of Alabama and going pro, so that's what made me pick Alabama over Auburn. Uh, and now, you know, in the 95 draft, you get taken by the Chicago Bulls. And, and for you, you know, to be a guy uh, from Mobile, um, to make it to the, you know, to the, to the big stage now, you get drafted by the Bulls, who had, at one point, I mean, they had the three-peat and they had the break when, uh, when Michael went to go play baseball. Um, you know, you're coming to an established organization, a championship organization. What was going through your mind um, when, you, when you heard your name called, Jason, uh, and just the pure elation you got them that, hey, I'm about to go play uh, with the greatest of all time? You know, that, that part didn't cross my mind. Uh, I, I was just so happy because look at it this way. Um, some guys complain who have a job, and they work their job, and they might take six months to get a raise. Basketball is a job, too. I started playing basketball when I was nine years old. I played all the way up until I was 22, 23 years old without a paycheck for doing that. So uh, just the excitement to hear with the 20th pick in the 1995 NBA draft, the Chicago Bulls, select Jason Caffey. I mean, that feeling has never been duplicated for me. The championships then duplicated – Nothing has duplicated that feeling for me in my life. And so you, your first season um, in Chicago, you guys win seventy-two games. Uh, was there? I mean, that during that season, uh, did you I mean you, you had to feel some kind of sort of like invincibility uh, that you guys you, you guys couldn't go down, right? I felt that way. Uh, once I got there to Chicago. One of the things that I had to deal with was uh, I said to myself after the first practice, I, I'm not as quick as I was anymore. I, I can't jump as high as I used to could. Well, that wasn't true. It was just that I was playing with guys who had professional conditioning and they could run faster and they could jump higher. So after months of you know telling myself just keep working hard, I was eventually able to compete with these guys. And at the level they were competing at, after the first 15, 20 games, I said to myself, I don't see how anybody's going to be able to beat us because we practiced harder than the games were. And, and for you, Jason, when was – I mean, obviously, Michael was a, a household name, uh, you know, all, I mean, before you got there. Uh, but when you first had your intera- your first interaction with Michael, maybe it was at practice, uh, what, I mean, what was the first thing that blew you away about him? Well, when I first saw Michael, I didn't say anything to him, and he didn't say anything to me. And it wasn't that I wasn't a big fan of his. I just I wanted to kind of come in and gain his respect before I started talking to him because I, I had already heard what type of player he was. But what fascinated me the most about him, I had never saw a man this athletic before. I, I remember being in the middle of the lane, and I knew I was going to draw the, the charge on him because I was positioned and, and everything. And I was guarding my jewels, you know, they call it that. And I had my fingers up, my thumbs up while I was guarding my jewels. He jumped so high, he stepped on top of my thumb, and he broke my fingernail. And I was like, this man is unbelievable. I've never seen guys leap like that before. 
And, you know, uh, just at the next season as well, you guys go back-to-back uh, NBA Finals champions. Uh, but I do also want to talk a little bit about the last dance, obviously. And me and you both mentioned, you know, we're riveted, we're glued to our TV. Um, have you been kind of surprised by anything they've shown? Uh, have you I mean what's kind of been like your reaction to as you're seeing things unfold in, in these in these four episodes? Everything has been the norm. It's, it's what I remember it to be. The only thing that uh, surprised me is now that I look back on it. I didn't really realize it was much that much turmoil between, you know, Scotty and, and management about his deal. Um, because every day at practice, we just came in and we worked hard and everybody was happy. Scotty was one of the guys who uh, took me under his wing. So uh, when they talk about how disgruntled he was, I, I didn't get to see that side of Scotty Pippen. He was happy and excited about playing for the Bulls every day that I was there. Yeah, kind of talk about the front office. I mean, is Jerry Krause really – I mean, how big of a villain is he being – I mean, he's obviously being the villain portrayed in this documentary, but, I mean, what, I mean, what was your interactions like with him? I mean, was it, you know, was it as they're portraying it to be? Because now – I don't know if you've seen this, Jason. Uh, I think his family are releasing some things kind of like to protect his name. Uh, so that's out there now. Um, you know, they're, they're doing that throughout this documentary. But what was your take on, uh, you know, how they're portraying Jerry Krause? Uh, you know, it was it was accurate. You know, you got to give the man a, a hell of a lot of credit because he did assemble a great team, and he got credit for that. And you would have thought that he would have been happy with that. Most GMs are, but I think he wanted the attention that Phil was getting because he discovered Phil. He wanted the attention that Michael was getting because he, you know, brought Michael there. Well, it doesn't work like that, Jerry. So you know. To say the least, he was very tough to deal with, a very sarcastic man. Uh, definitely, I felt like had the Napoleon syndrome because he would start, you know, crap with people like myself. I remember me, him, and Jordan were on the elevator one day, and he said something very sarcastic to me for no reason. And I'm a hard guy to get riled up, but I found myself putting my hands towards his neck because he kicked me off that bad. And, and Michael stepped between and said, Jason, don't do that. You'll ruin your career. Let me deal with it. And and from that point forward, it was just a verbal onslaught from Jordan, you know, killing Krause on every bus ride. And Scotty started chiming in, and they hated that guy. Yeah, for for me watching it, you know, I'm, I'm 23 years old, so I didn't get to grow up, you know, watching you guys live, I mean, as I do today's NBA. Um, so just watching it, I, I was just like, you know, you guys win five. I mean, the organization had won five out of seven years. Um, they had one title. Why blow it up? You know, like that, that, was my, that was my thing. It's like there's no need to rebuild. There's no need to say, hey, this is the last time we're doing this. We're tired of winning, basically. That's what, that's what it felt to me. So many relationships were burned. I mean, how do you come in and tell a coach who's won you five championships in the last seven years? I don't care if you go 82 and, oh, and win the championship. You're still not coaching here. Uh, that's total disrespect. Michael and Phil were the best of friends. Michael respected Phil. You knew you were going to lose Michael Jordan if you didn't bring uh, Phil Jackson back. You've lost all respect from Scottie Tiffin because you hold him into this contract. And get me on this. Business is business. If Scotty signed that contract, it's, it's up to him to live up to it because he signed it. Nobody made him sign it. And I'm not blaming Jerry Krause for that. However, Scotty was one of the top 
three, four players in the NBA at that time, if you were thinking of rebuilding and keeping the dynasty going, you should have gave him an extension or reconstructed that contract somehow, some way. So that led me to believe there was no plan B. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Jason. And you bring up Phil Jackson, and, you know, you were, you're able to say, hey, I played for uh, arguably the greatest coach of all time. Uh, what, I mean, just talk about the insight, because I know last night, our Sunday night, we saw it in episode four, really, more Phil's background. Um, just how, you know, speak to him as a leader and how he was really able to rally a group of guys who had, you know, different egos, different, different you know, uh, different backgrounds, different personalities. Um, you know, he was the guy who was, he was uniting everybody, it seemed. Um, just talk about him for a second. Um, Phil was a brilliant man, uh, a master finesser. Um, he knew how to deal with personalities. I often tell people when they ask me, how does Phil Jackson deal with Dennis Rodman? Well, he dealt with him by not dealing with him. And what I mean by that is when Dennis would come with these weird ideas about he needs a vacation to go off to um, Vegas in the middle of the season, instead of shooting him down and finding him money and, and, and talking about him or degrading him, Phil Jackson would listen to the conversation and he would weigh in on it. And that's how the decision was made. Let's give Dennis a break for a while because he's starting to fade away. If we let him go play for a while, he'll come back and do And that's exactly what he did. So Phil handled that situation perfectly with him. Yeah, let's let's talk about Dennis, too, a little bit. Um, you had a front row seat. You were played with him for multiple seasons. You know, just watching it and just like the, the, the studies, I, I mean, he is, I mean, he's definitely not the guy that the media portrayed him to be. Uh, yeah, you know, and he was he was controversial. He you know he did some you know some some crazy things. But like I you know in terms of you know his just his IQ um, and especially on the basketball court, man. When he was last night, when he was you know talking about how to get rebounds, um, you know specifically being right here on the court, you know the angles coming off the rim. I mean, it, it was just brilliant. And just talk about your relationship with Dennis Rodman and uh, and you know where you know how he's you know, the role he's played in in, in your career. Yeah, definitely not the guy the media portrays him to be. One of the most uh, laid-back and humblest guys you ever want to meet. For two and a half years, my locker was right next to Dennis's locker in the locker room at the Bertolt Center. Dennis didn't say five words in two and a half years. He never talked. He never talked to Michael. Michael never talked to him. He never talked to Scotty. Scotty never talked to him. Everything they did on the court was somewhat of a telepathic thing. They just knew what to do and knew where to be to work with each other, to complement each other. Um, Dennis was very smart. Uh, one of the best defensive players I've ever seen on ball. He knew help defense real well. I mean, just a stud. And uh, just another follow-up question to Phil. It just crossed my mind, Jason. Uh, just from your time being under him and then your one season with Wimp, did you see any comparisons? I mean, they're both great in their own respect, but did you see any comparisons to their style? Uh, as far as Coach Sanderson and uh, Phil? Yes. Uh, totally different styles. You know, Phil is more laid back, whereas Wimp is more feisty. He's going to come out with that plaid jacket on. Uh, you might be on the court going for a layup. The next thing you know, Wimp has, you know, slipped and, and, and fallen because he's he's so energetic about what he's doing. And, and that passion in Wimp made you really want to fight and, and play for him. Uh, 
some of the best one-liners I've ever heard in my life came from Wimp, and I don't care to repeat any of them right now. I'll do that when I talk to him on the phone, and we laugh about it. But that's how he got the most out of us, the feistiness. Phil was more so a finesse guy. I remember going into a locker room, and we were down by 20 to the Clippers, the worst team in the league. And I'm used to Wimp, so I'm, I'm thinking Phil's going to come in here and get a beat. He's going to clown. Phil comes in there calmly and says, okay, guys, we got them right where we want them. We go out there, second half, blow them out. Just because the confidence he's, you know, had in us still being down to the worst team by 20 points. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I think one of my favorite uh, scenes so far in, in this in this documentary was at the end of episode three with, with Dennis. He, you know, he asked for the vacation, obviously, and then, you know, he's pounding a middle light, and then he just gets on a motorcycle and just speeds off and, and, and they goes to the credits. Uh, I, I love that. I mean, it speaks to, uh, to Dennis Rodman and who he was, just the, the craziness of it. Man, Dennis might have been the most well-conditioned athlete on that team, and that's saying a lot with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. It was my personal job. Phil Jackson pointed at me. He pointed at Steve Kerr, and he pointed at Judd Bushler. You guys have to go out in the city with Dennis on these nights that he goes out drinking and watch him. Make sure he doesn't get in any trouble. Make sure no trouble comes his way. So we were always there with Dennis at these clubs partying. We couldn't drink as much as he could. He would put away 15 shots of tequila and come to practice the next day an hour early, ride the elliptical for an hour, practice the whole hour and a half, then the elliptical again for an hour and a half after practice. I mean, the man was in such great condition considering what he was doing in his nightlife. It just blew our mind. Yeah, they, they don't build them like Dennis anymore. I've never seen another man like Dennis. I'm just going to be honest. We can slam him back. Cause, I mean, me and Judd, we might have two or three shots, and the next day we're sucking wind. And we're professionals too. But this guy's running every play. I mean, the gym smells like a whiskey field, but he's still running every play doing his thing. That's awesome. And I, I want to get on your second championship real quick. You were a part of the flu game. You, you were there. Did you know that Michael was going to do that before he did it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's Pat and Michael, man. Uh, flu, whatever's going on with that dude, I, I call him Steel Wheel. I mean, because his wheel is just, just so strong. Whatever's going on with him, he always seems to be able to wheel a win out of it, regardless of what the situation was. So I kind of saw it coming. Yeah, I did. Well, I mean, out of all the moments you spent with Michael um, on the court, was I mean, is, is that the one that sticks out to you the most? Um, what, what's your what's your favorite MJ moment from on the court? That That is a great moment. But let me say this about a player like Michael Jordan with that type of athleticism and explosiveness. Every day you're going to see something that's going to blow your mind. Every day you're going to see something different. And I did. There's so many moments I can't even name them. This man literally used to lay across the top of men's head with that basketball, and he knew how to – push up off of you once he jumped over the top of you to get extra height to flush it on you. I mean, I, I just never seen anybody with that kind of body control before. It's, it's remarkable. There's, I, I wish I was able to see it live, you know, man, because, I mean, I was just a little kid, so so I didn't, I didn't get to witness it um, like most fans or, um, you know, anyone else really. 
but I do want to get into the, to the final season here with the Bulls um, when you got traded. When you get traded, I, I, they might show it in the, the next two episodes because it was at the end of February in 98, right? Right, right. Right after the All-Star game, I want to say, uh, Jerry Krause and I had an altercation. And, uh, you know, there's his name again. He gets into it with everyone. Um, a mutual associate of ours had contacted Jerry with something about me that Jerry didn't like. And without even questioning me or asking me about the details of the incident, he called Golden State up and was like, you know, we're shopping Jason Caffey. Would you guys like him? I was young, up and coming, so they jumped right on it. Next thing I know, I'm leaving practice from the Bulls one day, and I get a call from, you know, California, and it's the Golden State Warriors saying that, you know, you've just been traded here. We're happy to have you. Um, can you please get on a plane and head on out? I'm like, sure. And, you know, looking back at it, Michael, Scotty, and Dennis, I mean, they were pissed. They, they, they were mad. I mean, how can you trade – you know, a, a proven guy who can come in and get some – he's got playoff experience, um, can help us in key moments. How did that make you feel knowing that this trio, I mean, they had your back in this. And, I mean, like I said, they were pissed that uh, that you got dealt. Uh, the only thing I was upset about is that I was leaving a core of great guys. As far as the, the BS that Krause brought to the table, I didn't want any more to have to do with him because, like I said, if a man makes me feel like I want to choke him – I don't need to be around him. And, you know, I've been in situations before where Michael Jordan has jumped between Jerry Krause and myself because I've been reaching for, you know, Krause's neck to choke him. So, yeah, it was time to, to say bye. And you, you've, you've, told, you've said this in other interviews too, but, like, to kind of sum all of your, up your time with the Bulls, uh, looking back at it now, you know, many years later, um, you talked about how those were, like, you might not have known it then, but those were really formidable times in your life um, to help instill you, like, work ethic, um, discipline. And just, you know, talk about Michael, you know, his ruthless competitiveness. Um, you know, just overall, like, to sum it up, I mean, you would say that, uh, I mean, these, these teams really had a huge impact on your life. I'm going to tell you something special that happened to me last week. My son, he turned Brian Caffey. Um, he's in nursing now. He turned 22 years old. He was a basketball player in high school. And, I, you know, sometimes how a father can push their kids too hard and turn them against the game. Well, I didn't turn Brian against the game, but I have kicked him out of some gyms sometimes when we were working out in the past because he wasn't working up to my standards. And uh, he wasn't born when I was playing for the Bulls. So he started watching this documentary, and he called me the other day right before his birthday, and he said, Dad, i got to apologize to you. I understand now why you pushed me so hard to be the best because of what Michael Jordan pushed you to be through. He said, I had no idea that you guys trained like that, and that's how it was. And that was just a surreal moment for me because, you know, it, it made me feel like I was really appreciated, whereas at one time I was misunderstood by him. That's awesome, and that actually reminds me about uh, about another question I had. Um, you know, when you talk about how formal was building work ethic, and you see it in the documentary, you see Michael, um, especially when Scott was out, your final year at the Bulls, um, he was recovering from an injury, and he was kind of demanding the respect of everybody and demanding, hey, you know, he uses that word accountable a lot so far in this. Uh, were you, I mean, like when, when Michael was getting on you guys in practice, I mean, like, for, I mean, just, I know you're a professional athlete, um, you obviously are very competitive. 
Uh, I just know, for example, for a guy like me, you know, it's like I go play, I go for pickup somewhere. It's like guys want that, you know, it's a completely different level at the NBA. Uh, just what were those moments like? How tense did those get in practice um, when maybe things weren't going right and Michael was just kind of fuming? Well, we, we didn't see a lot of that. I think that happened more so in the first three uh, championships because he was developing guys, not to say we were super developed, but this is the thing with Michael. Once he had Scotty in place and he had another star in Dennis, everybody else on the team were, were, were really good role players. The only thing Michael expected for us to do was to come into practice every day, and I did not see Michael Jordan miss a practice in two and a half years. He expected us to come in and give 110% every day. He didn't expect us to be like Michael Jordan, like Scotty Pippen. If we just played our role hard and did our thing, he didn't get on us. So, you know, I don't ever remember him saying anything to me because I gave him all I had every time I touched the floor. That, yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Um, and then just two more just as we wrap up here, Jason. Again, thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, you get like we go back to the trade. You get traded to Golden State. Um, you end up having one of your best seasons uh, there um, in the 1999-2000 season. I guess just the rest of your NBA career, because you were with the Warriors, you were with the Bucks. Um, you know what was kind of the you know you leave Chicago, but I mean um, just talk about you know life after the Bulls and and how that was for you. Well, things kind of spiraled out of control for me for decisions that I made. Um, I, I wish in one aspect that I could have stayed up under uh, guys like Michael and Scotty for longer. But, you know, I had to test the waters myself. Uh, some things happened on the basketball court. Eric Dampier was our center out of Mississippi State, local SEC boy. But he stayed hurt for two years. So now I'm 6'8", trying to play center uh, for the Golden State Warriors in the West against Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, uh, Elijah one. That's not really going to work. So a lot of injuries came my way and, you know, kind of slowed me down and dampered me. But, you know, through it all, I don't regret anything. I'm I'm happy about my career and glad it ended the way it did. And then our final question, I've got to bring this up because, I mean, this is this is, bas- this is basketball. You know, you go on social media, this is the big thing, um, the MJ versus LeBron debate. And, I, I mean, I don't have a side in this, but uh, you playing with Michael, um, can you kind of get – I mean, everybody knows – uh, if, you, if you saw Michael, you know he's the GOAT. And then, you know, there's obviously this younger generation um, that would say, oh, LeBron's the GOAT. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think about when you hear people arguing that, Jason? Um, and just well, what, kind of, what are the thoughts going through your mind when, when somebody tells you LeBron's better? What I do is I stay out of the conversation uh, because I am a LeBron fan as well. Do I think he's better than Michael Jordan? I I wouldn't say that. I think Michael is the best player that I've ever seen play the game. I I like his tenacity. I like how he's not afraid to take over a game at any time, and he will never stop shooting. LeBron is a whole different type of player. He really wants to pass first. If he has to shoot it, he will, and he's successful at it. But I don't like to compare the two. Uh, I just kind of stay out of those conversations um, in order to give respect to both great players. Yeah, I, I don't blame you at all. Uh, I just had to get your take on what you think about when you hear those conversations. Um, but, again, thank you, Jason, for coming on here, man. Really appreciate the conversation um, and you just talking about, you know, last dance um, and, and your career at Alabama also, uh, and of course, with the Chicago Bulls. Hey, Tyler, I enjoyed it, man.